Good morning. morning. Nice to see everybody here this morning. Um, This is uh, an Advent service, isn't it? Um, You know we've been passing through this period of of Advent uh, leading up to Christmas. And during the Advent services that we've been having, we've had uh, uh, hope. Fee led us in that uh, uh, last week. Um, Today we're going to be looking at faith, which uh, has already been mentioned. Then there's going to be joy and love for Advent services. You might like to um, have your Bibles with you, because I shall be uh, actually going into quite a few references in our scriptures. You know, as I've been pondering um, on this Advent period, one of the words, one of the principles which uh, keeps coming up is the quality of peace. Peace. Even the word itself, peace, is a loaded word, isn't it? Uh, A feeling of peace. A condition of peace. You know, that's something that we all yearn for, don't we? People at large yearn for peace. I wonder how often we've heard the expression, all I want is a bit of peace and quiet. I know families with children um, is something that we often said when we, our children were growing up. All I want is a bit of peace and quiet. You know, there's that famous declaration, isn't there, of Neville Chamberlain when he came back to the UK after meeting with Adolf Hitler in 1938, waving that piece of paper and saying, peace for our time, peace for our time. Very hollow wish, wasn't it, as it it turned out. The nations of the world are calling for uh, the conflict between Russia and Ukraine to end with a lasting peace. Although perhaps we should note something that uh, uh, past President John F. Kennedy once said. He said, the mere absence of war is not peace. The mere absence of war is not peace. Francis Schaeffer uh, observed that people at large in uh, modern society, in the modern materialistic society that we live in, uh, they want peace, but they want it coupled with affluence, with affluence, being well off, um, living in a, a comfortable life. The current cost of living crisis, which we're all aware of, is understandably making people feel uh, very anxious, very worried. Uh, Worry and concern replacing, replacing peace. And as Christians, individually and collectively, as a church, we should acknowledge that and respond in whatever ways we can. Um, Something that we've been doing, that's why the food bank uh, that we're involved in Hope Cafe, um, Warm Spaces, are such important projects, practical projects that help to bring peace uh, to people who are worried. But what does God himself say about peace in his word? Well, perhaps you know we should look no further than those opening words in the first two verses of Romans chapter 5. I'm an oldie, so I'm going to read it in the NIV version. Um, He says this 
since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. Four very important words there, very potent words in those first two verses. Justify, peace, faith, grace. You know, they're four words that are full, uh, pregnant with meaning. What is meant by justify, being, being justified? You know, in essence, it's a judicial word, a legal term, to deem to be right, to declare or pronounce someone right or righteous, especially in the religious, uh, in the Christian and spiritual sense. Ideally, it would involve the complete fulfilment, the complete compliance with the laws of God. That, that in itself, would provide the basis for our justification in God's sight. Now, anyone who would dare to claim this through their own abilities, perhaps even thinking it privately in the uh, quietness of their own hearts, you know, would be dreadfully deluded to think that we ourselves, we ourselves could generate our own righteousness. But Paul, in that magnificent chapter uh, of Romans, chapter 5, opens the door, opens the door to such a position, justified through faith, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us in dying on the cross at Calvary. An acceptance, an acceptance that I'm a person stained with sin, my own sinful nature. Now, people don't like thinking that, really, do they? But we can't avoid it. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks about murder and adultery, he takes our culpability to an even higher level. As the Apostle John uh, warned us, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But Jesus, Jesus took those sins and the guilt that's associated with them and took them onto the cross, taking my deserved punishment, died for me, an acceptance that sets us on the pathway to reconciliation with our Lord to a spiritual, deep and lasting peace. Paul expresses that, doesn't he? Uh, so clearly, so unambiguously in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 when he says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that wonderful? Absolutely wonderful. You know, there are many breathtaking uh, verses and statements in the scriptures, but surely this must be up there ranking uh, as one of the highest. God made him, that is his sinless son, who had no sin, to be sin for us, with the express purpose that in him, we, that's you and me, we might become the righteousness of God, just as if, We'd never sinned. You know, by putting our faith in him, 
and what he did for us, we are indeed justified, declared righteousness, righteous before God. And so it requires from us true belief, true belief in what Christ did, true faith, an act of faith. But faith placed in our hearts in the first place by a gracious act of God himself. As those well-known words of Paul in his letter to his friends in Ephesus said, by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What must I do to be saved? The Philippian jailer cried out to Paul. Believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Have faith in Jesus and you will be saved. You know, such a divine transaction is a mystery. It's a magnificent mystery, but a magnificent truth, a magnificent truth, a true truth, as Francis Schaeffer would say. You know, don't ever be embarrassed by that. Don't ever be embarrassed by it. Shout it from the rooftops, uh, perhaps figuratively, but perhaps we should go outside and shout it from the rooftops about what Jesus did for us. By faith in Christ, we are brought into God's family, destined for an eternity in glory with him, a destiny, an outcome for all those who recognise what our Lord did for them, did for each one of us personally at Calvary, and who commit and come to Christ in faith. In his first letter, the Apostle John repeats and expands that famous passage in John 3.16, when he says this in 1 John 4, <coughs> verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. As that grand old hymn puts it, there is a green hill far away without a city wall where the dear Lord was crucified who died to save us all. He died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good that we might go at last to heaven saved by his precious blood. There was no other good enough. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. You know, faith in our Lord is not blind faith, as some people would like to describe it. It's a reasoned and reasonable faith. Back in the Old Testament, uh, the prophet Isaiah penned these words, quite famous words really. Come now, let us reason together. Come now, let us reason together. You know, many people, even, even some Christians, think that faith and reason are in conflict. In fact, faith and reason work together. That wise man Solomon wrote this, recorded in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Get wisdom, get understanding, do
Do not forget my words and swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Of course, that's not to say that we can intellectually argue ourselves into heaven. Not at all. Someone once said to, to John Stott, when I go to church, I feel I want to unscrew my head and put it under my seat. You know, nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. In response, Stott wrote this uh, sometime later in, in, in a book that he wrote. He said this in evangelism, then we shall need to recognise that the people to whom we preach have minds. We should not ask them to stifle their minds, but to open them, and in particular to open them to receive a divine illumination in order to understand the divine revelation. We should not seek to murder their intellect, since it was given to them by God, but neither shall we flatter it, since it is finite and fallen. We shall endeavour to reason with them, but only from revelation, but while admitting our need and theirs for the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. Aren't they very wise words? Very wise words. Now, faith for the Christian believer is not, is not blind faith, but is based on enlightened reasoning. As Paul put it in Romans chapter 10, faith comes through hearing the message, and the message is heard through through the word of Christ. And to underline the, the, the rational aspect of faith, Jesus himself, when responding to the question as to what was the greatest commandment, he said this and replied, Love your Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your mind. You know, the word of God, scripture, the Bible, is the conduit for faith. That well-known phrase that Billy Graham constantly used, the Bible says, the Bible says, is the uh, byword for faith. When I was a teenager, I took over my brother's Sunday school class when he went off to do his national service. Uh, the Sunday school superintendent was a really lovely man. Um, later on, he, he married Jean and myself. He was, he was a splendid man. He was an elder. Um, and uh, he was so spiritual in, in, in a very deep way. And as uh, uh, he came up to me, he was the superintendent at the time of the Sunday school, he gave me the Scripture Union teacher's guide. And I've always remembered the advice that he gave to me. He said, you'll find lots of illustrations in this guide, which can be useful, but whatever you do, teach what the Word of God itself says. Teach what the word of God itself says. Concentrate on that. And you know that advice, that advice has stuck with me all the way down the years. You know, of course, illustrations are always, always helpful. But what God himself says in his word should always take preeminence. The book of Hebrews gives a wonderful uh, exposition on faith, doesn't it? Chapter 11 uh, sets out a whole catalogue of people whose faith controlled and regulated their lives. At the start of chapter 12, after having listed all those people, uh, the writer went on to say this, Therefore, 
since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the sure anchor of our faith. You know, it is our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the author and conveyor of our faith. So there's no, uh, absolutely no reason for any sense of pride in the faith that we have. It's all of God. It's all of God. A humbling and chastening realisation. But the gift of faith is not static. It's not static. The Apostle Peter counsels that we should grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Listen to those words of Paul uh, in his second letter to the church in Thessalonica. We, always, uh, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more because your faith is growing more and more, and the love everyone has for each other is increasing. Notice, uh, as an aside really, the blessed byproduct of a growing faith. Relationships with one another get deeper and warmer. You know, that link between genuine faith, genuine faith, and love for our brothers and sisters in Christ is a recurring theme in Paul's letters. Listen to what he writes uh, to the Ephesians. Ever since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You know, a faithful fellowship of God's people is a loving fellowship of God's people. The Apostle Peter, in his second letter, lists a whole catalogue of, of blessings that accrue from a deepening faith. Let me read it to you. It's 2 Peter 1, verses 3 to 8. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and goodness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us a very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. How wonderful is that? How wonderful is that? But Peter goes on and he says this, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're quite powerful words, aren't they? They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure you can notice there a parallel with 
uh, with what Peter is saying, with Paul's description of the fruit of the Spirit. Those characteristics which should be apparent in every one of God's children, in you uh, and in me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Such should be the qualities of those who profess faith, faith in our Saviour and in Almighty God. You know, we need to be honest with ourselves, don't we? I need to be honest with myself. Do such qualities uh, flow out of my faith? Do such qualities flow out of my faith? Uh, I feel quite, it's quite a sobering thought uh, when I really think about that. Those of us who have had the blessing uh, of being brought up in a church, I'm sure we'll remember those older people, those who made a great a positive impression on us, role models, men and women whose lives demonstrated the presence the presence of our Lord, controlling and steering their lives. You know, I often wonder, with a certain amount of trepidation, uh, what sort of role model people, especially young people, will see in me, how the faith we profess, you know, should have a real impact on our lives, on my life, every day, all the time, in all the circumstances that I find myself in. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said this, faith always shows itself in the whole person. Let me repeat that. Faith always shows itself in the whole person. Is that what is seen in me? Is that what is seen in you? You know, faith has no place for pride, but a faith that realises that in our weakness, we must look to God uh, for strength. Our Heavenly Father, guidance, and spiritual wisdom. As Paul put it quite starkly, didn't he, in his first letter to the Corinthian church, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. You know, one of the dangers that Christians can fall into is to look to some high-profile Christians and bow to their apparent wisdom, even perhaps putting faith in, in their lives, in their words. You know, how dangerous that can be. How dangerous that can be. How often such Christian celebrities have fallen and brought dishonour to our Lord. The wisdom we should always seek is the wisdom of God as set out in his word. A wisdom that inevitably leads to a growing faith in Almighty God. A firm and abiding trust. You know, trust is a very powerful emotion, but something that can be very fickle. I came across this story uh, the other day. It's an apocryphal story, no doubt, uh, uh, but it made me smile. And it seems to make a quite a good point. When a climber fell off a cliff and tumbled down to a gorge below, he caught hold of a small, a small branch. Help, he shouted, is anybody up there? A voice boomed out to him. I will help you, my son, but you must have faith in me. Yes, yes, I will trust you. Let go of the branch, came the reply. There was a long pause before the man shouted up again. 
Is there anyone else up there? <laughs> you know, how often in moments of fear, even moments of despair, moments of crisis, people cry to God. Uh, but in the cold light of day, when this calls for a deeper and lasting commitment, a deeper faith, they shrink away, even though the reality of it is, is so obvious. You know, whilst we should never look upon faith in God as the option of last resort, nevertheless, our Heavenly Father is always looking for the returning uh, prodigal, for the lost sheep. As Christians, as his children, our Lord is the anchor, the anchor of our lives. As that old hymn puts it, we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure when the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. And however frail and weak our faith may be, to use that engaging picture of, of Jesus himself that he himself uses, even faith as small as a mustard seed uh, can move a mountain. Even faith as small as a mustard seed can move a mountain. I don't know if you ever watch uh, Michael McIntyre's show, uh, The Wheel. Um, I think I'm getting some nods. <laughs> um, well, it's not something that I go out of my way to watch, but I did, I did watch it the, uh, the other week. And in that show, one of the contestants who went on to win a very large sum of money, apparently both his wife uh, and one of his sons had serious health uh, uh, problems. And uh, he said to Michael McIntyre that this is going to make a, a big difference. It's going to make... It's going to change my life and change the life of my family. Understandable, I suppose, but an attitude which actually aligns quite nicely with what Francis Schaeffer was saying uh, about uh, personal peace uh, and affluence. You know, coming to Christ in genuine faith, acknowledging your own sinfulness and accepting what our Lord did for you when he took those sins in his own death uh, and died on the cross at Calvary, would have life-changing consequences, life-changing consequences for you. And if you've never done that, if you've never done that, don't put it off. Don't put it off. You know, I say it again, uh, take up that challenge from Jesus and acknowledge your own sinfulness and come to him in faith. Come to him in faith. Even faith as small as a mustard seed can move a mountain. The theologian, evangelical theologian Jim Packer, quoting a verse uh, from that well-known hymn, Rock of Ages, uh, he said this, quoting uh, one of the verses, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, Helpless, look to thee for grace. And Packer goes on to say this. This is how true faith speaks. Faith abandons hope in man's own accomplishments, leaves all works behind, 
and comes to Christ alone, empty-handed, casts itself on his mercy. Such is the faith that saves. So where has all this brought us? Perhaps again, we should let Paul have the last word. In writing to his young friend Timothy, he brings together faith in God and what the word, the scriptures, his word, actually say. You know, there's a very close synergy between those two uh, crucial elements in the Bible. Listen to what Paul says in that famous verse, 2, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15. The Holy Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Through faith in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us when he went to the cross and took our sin and our guilt in his own death. Lord, help us to recognize that in a deep and committed way and come to you and stay with you throughout our lives. So we ask your hand uh, upon us in all that we do in the lives that we live, and we ask your blessing upon us, and we thank you again for all that you did for us. In Jesus' name, amen.